Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Matthew chapter 13 is where we'll be together this morning, uh, verses 31 to 33, short passage of scripture that we're going to look at together. And if you're today here, uh, here today is our, our guest for the first time. My name's Taylor. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. And um, what we've been doing as a church family the last few weeks is walking through a really short message series. Today's week three of three um, called Gospel Family Kingdom. And what we have been doing over the last few weeks is we've been looking at the biblical foundations for the core values that shape Cross Community Church. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw our first core value, which is the value of gospel. We value the good news of Jesus Christ. We saw that the gospel is the uh, foremost non-negotiable priority of the church. The good news of Jesus Christ has to be central to everything that we are and everything that we do as a body of believers. Um, Last week, we saw our second core value of family. Uh, We are a family of believers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ united by the blood of Jesus Christ, sharing the same heavenly father, but that yeah, family is not just supposed to be limited to us. We reach out even into our broader community. So we are cross because we believe in the gospel. We are family because we believe in the community of believers and its mission to our, our surrounding community, but we are also church because we embrace the value of kingdom. Now, a quick side note, because I know some of you will will pick up on this. Uh, If you look at the title of the message in your worship guide today, it says, we are cross. No, I'm not repeating my message from two weeks ago. And just so you can know who to level blame against, that was me. There was a typo in my notes when I sent it to the staff. And I said, please don't reprint the whole worship guide uh, just for the sake. So today we're looking at that third core value, kingdom, we are church. Now, this uh, fall has been really a season of celebration, a season of reflection, and, and, and just rejoicing in the work that the Lord has done in our church family. Um, I'm a big fan of milestones and, and just memories, and um, this fall marks for us really five years uh, right before we, we were right on the cusp of launching the church. Um, January 22nd, 2022, we will celebrate our fifth birthday Um, as a church family. But um, before there was a a public launch of a church, um, there was behind the scenes for for, uh, two years for me and then a year uh, for our core team of just some very slow, uh, intentional relationship building, discipleship training, and just preparation for uh, the ministry that the Lord had given us to do. And um, it was around this time, five years ago, fall of 2016, that um, we would have on Saturdays a group of about 25, 30 adults. Um, this was really the first time we started coming together and, and started having you know, what you would probably look at as, as more of a proper worship gathering. You know, for a year, we kind of just huddled up in a circle on a Saturday morning, and I'd open the Bible, and we'd study a passage together, and we would just have open discussion. But November of that year, we started uh, coming together, and this was really the first time that, you know, Grayson would lead some songs, and I would actually preach a sermon, and uh, we had kids people who were giving a lesson to all of our kids. And, and man, the, the anticipation among that group, like, the excitement was just palpable because we were right on the cusp of, of launching the church just a couple of months later. And it was cool just in those moments to say like, man, this, this is actually starting to look like a congregation. Like this is starting to, to look like a church. And um, this past week, I just had one of those moments where I was just kind of overwhelmed by the Lord's goodness. Um, Wednesday night, I had the opportunity, our family went and hung out at the Tabby Place with our student ministry. And um, it's the first time we've had the chance to go to the Tabby Place. Our boys have been playing football all fall. And uh, so we had a free Wednesday night. And uh, this past Wednesday, they were doing their annual Friendsgiving. And uh, so 60, 70 students that were uh, around tables, I mean, just an incredible night. 
um, had, had this big Thanksgiving feast together. That was one of the best turkey. I'm not a big fan of turkey. That was an incredible turkey. And so that was one of the highlights of the night for me. Um, but they, they had their friends giving and then you know, Cole gave a message and just multiple times I'm standing in the back of the room and, and just saying, Lord, thank you. Like, thank you. you know, five years ago, that these are things that we only dreamed about as a church. And here was on a Wednesday night, a group of high school and middle school students that was twice the size of what the whole of Cross Community Church was five years ago. And when you look at things like this, it's just moments that I go, man, isn't it just like the Lord to do this? Like the Lord just loves to start with our insignificant nothing and then turn it into something, transform it into something that can only be attributed to his power and his glory. He loves to, uh, through seemingly insignificant means, uh, accomplish these extraordinary things. And, and it was one of those moments just to be able to stand back and say, man, this is just like the Lord. Behind the scenes, this slow, unimpressive, insignificant nothing. He's exploded it into something great and into something new. And so what we're going to see together this morning as we open up Matthew chapter thir- uh, 13, we're going to look at two very short parables that Jesus shares back to back. We're going to see a picture of his kingdom. And what we're going to see about the local church this morning through these two parables is that the local church is a global mission. Even what we're doing here on a local level, as insignificant as it might seem, we are connected to something that's greater than ourselves. And this local church global mission, it's really marked by both an internal factor and an external factor. Internally, we are being holistically transformed. And sometimes that transformation, it's unspectacular, it's unimpressive, sometimes it's unnoticed. We don't even realize that it's happening. And yet when the Lord is finished with the work that he's doing, it produces this undeniable result. It's something that we step back and we look at and say, only Jesus could have done this. And so, you know, as we open up Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to show us a glimpse of what his kingdom is like. If you ask the question, you know, what is the one theme that that if you could just kind of summarize the whole Bible, the one banner that's over the whole Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's really the theme of the kingdom of God. You know, all throughout scripture, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of of heaven, it, it refers to Christ's perfect rule and reign of grace and righteousness. The kingdom of heaven was uh, glimpsed through the nation of Israel. It was fully embodied by the life and ministry of Jesus. So his teachings and his miracles and all of the extraordinary works that he did, all of these were glimpses of the kingdom. They were manifestations of the kingdom. And, And then in the same way, we who are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, this body of believers called the church, the local church is an earthly outpost of this heavenly kingdom. Our existence is a glimpse for the watching world into what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And again, sometimes the work of the kingdom, it looks unimpressive, it's unspectacular, it's unnoticed, but by the time the Lord is finished, it's gonna produce something that no one can deny. They can only be attributed to his power and his glory. So Matthew chapter 13, again, two short parables here. Uh, Let's read the first one together from verses 31 and, and 32. Matthew 13. Jesus says he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. So we see first this morning that the start of the kingdom was difficult to see, but the results of the kingdom will be impossible to miss. The coming of the kingdom, the beginning of this kingdom, it was unimpressive. 
It was unspectacular and it was largely unnoticed. It was very, very difficult to see, but Jesus said his kingdom will become something that is absolutely impossible to miss. Now, you think first century audience here that Jesus is speaking to, this is a largely agrarian context. So a heavy agricultural uh, world that they were living in. And so uh, for many of us who maybe uh, haven't grown up in that world or live in that world, you know, this, this metaphor could be pretty quickly lost on us, but it was not lost on the crowd uh, that Jesus was teaching to. And so he uses a, a very simple illustration here. He says, that you, you take a mustard seed, it's one of the smallest seeds that you can find take the mustard seed and it was somewhere between about a 12th or 16th of an inch. And he said, it's, it's a small, one of the smallest of all the seeds. You throw it in the ground and all of a sudden it becomes uh, the largest plant that would have been found in this, in this context in a garden. A uh, mustard tree would grow up to about eight feet or 12 feet. And so the picture that Jesus was painting was really simple. The, the kingdom started in, in this microscopic kind of unseen way, but then it produced something that no one could deny. And, and, you know, it kind of goes over our heads a little bit, but this metaphor would have been really, really weird for the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Because whenever he's describing how the kingdom came and how the kingdom would be built, this is the exact opposite of what these people were expecting. We saw this earlier this year as we studied the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We saw this a few years ago as we studied together the gospel of Mark. When, when uh, first century Jewish culture there in, in the Middle East, whenever they heard about the coming of the kingdom of God, what they were expecting was some sort of political revolution. What they were expecting was military conquest. They expected the Messiah, the king, to come riding in on a white horse with a sword in hand to overthrow the Roman empire. That's what they were waiting on. That's what they were expecting. This is Jesus saying, it's not like that at all. His kingdom did not come in the way that everyone else expected. We'll reflect on this as we enter into the Advent season over the next couple of weeks. Our, our king didn't come by being born in a palace. Where was he born? He's born in a stable. His kingdom didn't start with him being crowned. The king wasn't first crowned. He was first crucified. This king does not build his kingdom by taking the lives of his enemies. This king is gonna build his kingdom by laying down his life for his enemies. It was the exact opposite of what everybody expected. At almost every single turn of his ministry, Jesus did the opposite of what everyone expected. We see this whenever he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven. Jesus opens up his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that word, that, the phrase poor in spirit means? Jesus is saying, hey, those of you who are spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt, sinners, flawed people who have nothing to offer, kingdom of heaven's for you. Jesus taught that the kingdom's not for the religious elite, it's for the poor in spirit. He taught that the kingdom wasn't for those who were proud and strong, but for those who were humble and mourning. He said, it's not a kingdom for the vengeful. It's a kingdom for the merciful. It wasn't a kingdom for warmongers. It was a kingdom for peacemakers. It's a kingdom for the persecuted and for the marginalized. It's a kingdom that's built not by hating enemies, but by loving them. Not by overthrowing the persecutors, but by praying for them. Again, for his audience, the kingdom was about building their nation. It was about restoring their greatness. It was about uh, conquering others and their return to global uh, uh, prominence. And, and what they wanted was the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. They wanted the recovery of their ethnic identity. And in their mind, all of this was being threatened by the presence of the Gentiles through the Roman Empire. 
And so they wanted a king who was gonna come overthrow the Romans, who was going to come separate them from the Gentiles so they could restore the nation and recover their identity. And Jesus says, no, 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 not like that at all. He said, this kingdom, the, the picture that he uses is of a tree that's growing and all the birds of the air come and make their nests. This was coming to life a prophecy from the book of Ezekiel about how this kingdom wasn't going to exclude the Gentiles, it was going to include the Gentiles. Um, this is from Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 23 through 24. This is what the Lord had spoken centuries before through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, on the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree and make, the high, and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. This is Jesus saying here in Matthew 13, the high trees are being made low. The low trees are being made high. The birds of the air are now coming to make their nests. It was gonna be a kingdom for all people. It was gonna be a kingdom for all nations. And again, this isn't just exclusive to the words of Jesus here. This is the whole narrative of scripture from start to finish. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, it's the cultural mandates that the Lord gives to Adam and Eve. He gives them the instruction, be fruitful and what? multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God's plan from the very beginning before sin entered the world was the multiplication of his image to the ends of the earth. And then he gives the commission to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15. He says, hey, Abraham, number the stars. Good luck with that, by the way. He's like, number the stars if you can. So shall your descendants be. Isaiah chapter 49, the Lord gives a commission to the nation of Israel, says you're to be a light to the nations. Jesus gives his great commission, Matthew chapter 28, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. That's expanded on Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And all of this is leading to this picture that we get in Revelation 7, the fullness of the kingdom. It includes people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This has always been God's desire. The building of his kingdom, it's not exclusive to one geographic area, not just to, to one ethnic identity. It's all people in all places. It's an every tribe, tongue, and nation type of kingdom. And so, so just see how all of this has progressed. The beginning of the, of the kingdom was very difficult to see. It did not start in the way that you would expect. It did not start with Jesus, with, with two royal parents being born in the largest wing of a palace. There was an unmarried teenage girl in a small little town called Bethlehem in a stable. She gave birth to the king of the universe. It starts in the most unlikely of places. And that kingdom grows into something that no one can deny. A kingdom that's for, for people in every tribe, tongue, and nation. I love the words of C.S. Lewis and how he, he talks about what the world is and what Christianity is. He says, enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. Love this. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Don't you love that? Doesn't it make following Jesus sound a lot more fun? We're participating in sabotage. Isn't that good? Like we're just, we're just trying to mess Satan up, right? Like this is what God has given to us. Again, it, it's the start of the kingdom, very, very difficult to see. The result of this kingdom, Jesus says, impossible to miss. 
It's gonna start in insignificance and it's gonna result in something that only leads to giving him glory and praise. Second uh, parable that Jesus teaches back in Matthew 13, let's read together verse 33. Again, very simple. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. That's the parable. That's what I love about teaching the parables. Like you don't need a lot of stories, not a ton of illustrations because the illustration is the point. Jesus says that this is what my kingdom is like. So we see second this morning that the entry of the kingdom was quiet and pervasive and the growth of the kingdom will be organic and expansive. So you can do just, just very quietly, very secretly, like our rightful king who, who landed, landed in disguise. Again, just the entry of the kingdom, very, very quiet, happening in the realm of the unseen, largely unnoticed, unrecognized, looked over, and it's gonna do this slow, unspectacular, organic work beneath the surface, but then one day it's gonna have touched everything. That's the picture that Jesus paints here. So uh, oftentimes in scripture, leaven or yeast, it's used as a symbol of corruption. So for the listeners of Jesus here, this might've actually been somewhat of an offensive example for some of these folks. Um, that that might've uh, really hit them the wrong way. But what Jesus is doing here is using a yeast or leaven as an illustration to describe how the kingdom grows. So again, the, the passage illustrates itself. And the picture that Jesus paints is, is of a very ambitious woman. She's got three measures of flour. So this came out to about 50 pounds worth of flour. Now, man, this sounds a lot like my grandmother. She only has recipes that feed armies. Anybody else have a, a relative like that? Uh, man, you go visit my grandmother by yourself. Come to breakfast hungry because she's still making three dozen biscuits regardless. And like that, that's the picture that Jesus paints here. This is a lot of flour. It's like a concrete sized bag worth of flour. And so, you know, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast, it, it doesn't seem like much in proportion to that, but that's how it worked. You start to roll it all together. You start to lump it all together. You start to mix it all together. By the time it's done, the, the, whole, the whole pile of flour has been leavened. And Jesus says that this is how the kingdom works. Again, it's not like you're, you're totally observing at the level of microbiology exactly what's happening with the yeast, the leaven, the flour, as all of it is, is coming together. And, and listen, this is how kingdom work often goes. It's unnoticed. It's unspectacular. It's something that's taking place beneath the surface. But by the time it's finished, it's touching everything. And Jesus says, this is what my kingdom is like. Um, one of my favorite uh, book series and movie series for that matter is Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. And uh, my favorite book, favorite movie of, of all the series is The Last is The, the Return of the King. And there's, um, there's this really powerful uh, climactic moment towards the end of the story where uh, Aragorn has gathered together this large army at the Black Gate there in Mordor. And, um, and so they're ready to go up against the army of Sauron. And, uh, but if you've read the book and you've watched the movie, you know that the gathering of, uh, of Aragorn and that army right there was really just intended to be a diversion. So uh, the eye of Sauron had been frantically looking for the ring of power. And so they gathered the army together uh, to create this diversion. And when you think about a king who's trying to overthrow enemies and lead a kingdom, this is what we think about. Like we think about some powerful, heroic, charismatic figure who's out front, sword in hand, running a hundred feet, you know, in front of everybody else, right into the heart of the enemies, even though they're a much smaller army, like that's what we tend to think about. But, but they create this diversion. And so the eye of Sauron is now fixed on this army. All the while, there's an unsuspecting little hobbit named Frodo Baggins who's making his way up the hill of Mount Doom. And there he casts the ring of fire or the ring of power into the fire and Sauron's destroyed. It was quiet. 
It was subversive. The threat to Sauron really wasn't the army. It was Frodo with the ring. And man, like this is exactly, I love the picture that paints for us because this is how Jesus builds his kingdom through the most unlikely of people, through the most unexpected of ways, just, just kind of secretly and subversively and, and quietly. And then one day that there's just this explosive result that no one can deny and evil was destroyed. Like if you and I were building a kingdom, it probably wouldn't start with putting ourselves on a cross. That's exactly how Jesus starts his kingdom. How does he beat death? He beats death with death. It's with his own death. And then the triumph of resurrection, it's not the way we would have started a kingdom. And yet this is how the kingdom of heaven explodes onto the scene. It's with the death of Jesus and then his resurrection from the grave. Now I love uh, the, the words of the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 37. He's just reminding the church in Corinth, man, th- this is who you were before Christ. Like this, this is who we were. And it's just the reminder of our testimony and the goodness that God has shown to us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Listen, but God chose. Everybody say chose. God chose what is foolish. I love this. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In the same way that an inconsequential little hobbit was the one who destroyed the ring of power and destroyed the power of Sauron, in the same way, God uses broken, imperfect sinners for the building of his kingdom. It's, it's quiet. It's not what we would expect. It's not probably what we have chosen. It's not the plan that you and I likely would have made. And so you know, we embrace this value of kingdom as a church family for a few reasons, because number one, man, it reminds us that this is not ours. Like Cross Community Church, it does not belong to me. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is not our church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. Listen, nobody in this room paid the price for the church at the cost of our own blood. Jesus did. He's the only one who purchased this at the cost of his own life. This all belongs to him. This is not our kingdom. This is his kingdom. You and I are not the king and the queen. He is the king. This is his authority. And it also reminds us, man, that we're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Like, isn't it good news to know we're not the only people in the world doing this today? Like, doesn't that encourage you to know that right now, like we we are uniting with brothers and sisters in Christ all across the globe. Some of them who are doing that at the threat of their own lives, like we're a part of that. Like this is bigger than us. This is bigger than what happens in the YMCA in Port Royal on a Sunday morning. It's so much bigger than that. We are part of something that's greater than ourselves. So this this word kingdom, it reminds us that we have a king, that we're part of his kingdom, that that we're not the only ones that are in this kingdom and expands beyond this. It reminds us too that, that he works in ways that we might not necessarily work. Our king does not build his kingdom the way we build our kingdoms. 
And so uh, as we, we start to, to close out this morning, I wanna give us three challenges. Like what does it look like practically for us to embrace this value of kingdom? What does it look like for us to be a people who, who value the work of the kingdom and the message of the kingdom just, just practically at, a, at the level of, of our everyday lives? The first challenge I wanna give us this morning is that we be people who expect the unexpected. Being about the kingdom means that we need to become comfortable with expecting unexpected things. God does not build his kingdom the way everybody else builds their kingdom. Oftentimes it looks foolish. Oftentimes it's, it's not the plan that we would have chosen. It, it doesn't look right to us. But this is what we see over and over and over again all throughout scripture. God always does his best work through the least likely of people in the least likely of ways in the least likely of places at the least likely of times. But let's just walk through scripture together here. God calls Abraham out from among a pagan people. God calls Moses out from the wilderness. God calls Gideon, the weakest of all men from the weakest of all family, and he leads an army. And, and then he whittles that army down to 300 people just to make sure he's the one that gets the glory in the end. This is how he works. He calls David out of the pasture. He calls the disciples out of fishing boats and tax booths. He calls away the apostle Paul, formerly Saul. He calls him away from a life of religious fanaticism and persecution of the church. He always chooses the least likely people. God always picks the people nobody else would have picked so that he alone can receive the glory. God's power is always most perfectly displayed in the lives of those who seemingly have the least to offer. This is how he works. He calls prostitutes and drug addicts. He calls the weak and the poor. He calls the depressed and anxious. He calls the uneducated and the unimpressive. He calls atheists who hate him and he calls skeptics who doubt him. Greatest miracle of all friends, he called you and he called me. His power and his glory are always most perfectly displayed in the lives of those who have the least to offer. You may look at yourself and your life this morning and say, I don't have much to offer. You are exactly the type of person that God seeks to use who can come to him with the recognition, I have nothing, but you have everything. Expect the unexpected. Expect God to move in uncertain situations. Like what would it look like for us as a church to start expecting like in this great time, this time of just, just great national unrest and turmoil and polarization, man, what would it look like for us to expect that right in the middle of the mess, God just pour out his Holy Spirit and we see revival sweep over our nation like we've never seen before? What's it look like for us to expect that? What's it look like for us to look at the weak and the uneducated? What's it look like for us to be those people? and to expect that God can use us for his glory. It's always most powerfully displayed through the lives of those who have the least to offer. Second challenge I wanna give us this morning is that we'd be people who embrace the unspectacular. Being about the kingdom and upholding the value of the kingdom means that we're gonna be people who just embrace the, the unspectacular among us. And God doesn't work the way that we would normally work and his kingdom is quiet and it's pervasive and, and sometimes it's happening beneath the surface and we don't even know that it's happening. You know, um, we are, this is a lot more complicated than this, but for the uh, sake of time, I'll spare us the lecture this morning. You know, we are right now, there's a lot of economic challenges because of supply chain issues. Now, uh, has anybody felt this at some level? I'm, I'm just curious. Like, 
even yet two hands for some across the room. Yeah, like you, if you're particularly a man like construction type world, but even going to the grocery store, you know, you can, uh, you show up and, and we're not finding things right now that we might normally find. And, and some of that convenience has been taken away from us. And man, this is maybe miracle of all miracles. If there's anything that, that can unite the right and the left in our consumer driven society, the one thing that's gonna bring us together is our frustration that we can't immediately get things. Like if there's one thing to bring us together, like the one thing we will not do kind of across the political spectrum is be patient, right? Like it's not a virtue that we have. I blame Amazon Prime personally, right? Like we're used to order it now and it's there in two days. You wait three days, you're gonna have a come to Jesus moment with someone, right? Like fast food, if it takes longer than five minutes, nope, that's not, that's not good enough. I'm gonna chew somebody out when I get to that window. Right? Like we're, we're not a terribly patient people. And unfortunately, man, a lot of that mentality, it starts to in, in, uh, infect how we live and operate as followers of Jesus and how we do things as a church. Because what that means is a lot of us men, we don't have a very high tolerance for the slow inward work of spirit and heart transformation. And the fruit of that is that we can quickly become a church where we are not willing to give others the grace and the time and the patience that they need to grow towards maturity in Christ. You know, this can be hard, man, especially if you're coming from the business world where you expect the growth always to be, you know, of, of the chart to be up and to the right. Like following Jesus doesn't always work that way. And God doesn't always work that way. And you know, man, it, just, it really kind of grieves my heart sometimes as a, as a pastor, I'll sit down with people and sit down and make, man, I'm just feeling really spiritually dry. So we just ask some of those basic diagnostic questions. Well, you know, how's, how, how's your time in the word? What's that look like? Well, I'm, I'm not really doing that. How's, how's your time in prayer? Like, how, how's that going? Well, I'm, I'm not really doing that. I'm not really feeling that. Okay, what, what about some other spiritual disciplines like, you know, fasting and just, you know, just the, the, the physical hunger that leads to a posture of soul hunger? How's that going? I'm not really doing that. Well, like, well, what's it look like when you gather together at church? Well, I've been pretty inconsistent with that. And, and what I've found a lot of times is like, man, so, so many of us, we're just looking for a magic pill. Like what, what, what a lot of us are looking for in those moments, it's like, hey, tell me about the secret sauce. Like, I, I know about these things. I know about being in the word. I know about praying. I know about fasting. I know about gathering for worship. But like, I'm, I'm really looking for something a little bit different because I'm, I'm not really feeling those things. And, and listen, these are the very ordinary means that the Lord has given us to draw us closer to him. Like he, he's not given us anything else. He's, he's given us his word. He's invited us into relationship with him in prayer. He calls us to fast so that the hunger in our stomachs re reveals a, a hunger in our hearts spiritually for him. He, he calls us to gather. And listen, sometimes you're not feeling those things. I'm just gonna be honest. Like, you know, this happens, especially a lot of us as we get into like a Bible reading plan, right? Like uh, a lot of us, I'm, I'm sure January will come and you'll set that goal. I wanna read through the Bible this year. And listen, we know what's coming mid-February, right? It's the book of Leviticus. Like, man, you're, you're feeling it, right? Through Genesis and Exodus, this is exciting. This is good. This is a good story. And all of a sudden it's dietary laws. I'm not really feeling it anymore. It's like, I, I think I'm gonna be done with this. And so listen, this is, this is maturity. This is maturity. This is what it means to understand the work of the kingdom and, and how God works. It's in that moment, Lord, help my mind, the, the truth that's in my mind to overcome what I'm feeling in my emotions, what I'm feeling in my heart. Help me to trust that this word is doing a work fundamentally at the level of my soul that I can't see. Help me to cling to the truth uh, that the book of Hebrews tells us that your word is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the places I can't see. That's maturity. It's not just doing things because we feel like doing them. It's doing things because even when we don't feel like doing them, 
because we know that deep down inside, we can trust that the word of God is always doing his work. We can trust that no time is wasted in prayer. We can trust that the Lord will create a hunger in our souls for him as our bodies physically hunger for him. We can trust that even if, man, we're not feeling it when we show up on Sunday morning, that the Lord can work through all of this. That's how he grows us to maturity. It it means for us as a church, listen, it, it does not have to be Disney for Jesus every Sunday morning, right? Like that we would just embrace the ordinary means of the preached word and the prayed word and and of coming to the table and of lifting up our voices in song. All of this is doing something to unite us together and draw us closer to Jesus, even when we don't feel it. I've always loved this from Eugene uh, Peterson. He's one of my favorite writers and uh, he's got a great work called Practice Resurrection, A Conversation on Growing Up in Christ. And he, he sums it up like this. He says, maturity cannot be hurried, programmed, or tinkered with. There are no steroids available for growing up in Christ more quickly. Impatient shortcuts land us in the dead ends of immaturity. This is what we want to avoid as followers of Jesus. We want to be people who recognize, listen, the Lord has given us these very basic, these very simple, ordinary means that we just commit to day in and day out for our long-term spiritual transformation. What I fear happens a lot of times, guys, is that we go chasing for that mountaintop emotional high and like we just kind of want to live there, right? But you, you climb to the top of the mountain, the view is really good, but where do things actually grow? It's down in the valley. Stuff doesn't grow at the top of Mount Everest. And it's, it's a great experience and it's good to have these experiences, but man, we don't live there. Life happens down in the valley and we can trust that through our lives, through our circumstances, through the simple, ordinary means God has given us, he is slowly, progressively transforming us more into the image of Jesus and he's collectively growing us together, his body, that we could be the earthly outpost of a heavenly kingdom. So man, we just embrace the unspectacular. We embrace the unspectacular. We don't, we don't uh, rate things based on their entertainment or emotional value only. Is this making me more like Jesus? And we embrace all that as we commit to becoming more like him. And the third challenge for us this morning, uh, to be a kingdom church, it means that we engage the unreached. Jesus said of his kingdom, it reaches to the ends of the earth. It's the type of the kingdom where all the different types of birds of the air, man, they come together and they make their nests in the same tree. We live uh, here in the West, we, we just, man, you know, it's a more of an individualistic type society. And we, we tend to overemphasize and fixate on what's best for me, what's best for my family, what's best for my work, what's best for my money. Like we, we tend to have this very myopic, self-centered perspective. But Jesus is showing us here, Matthew 13, that this is not a me, myself, and I kingdom. This is an every tribe, tongue, and nation kingdom. This isn't just about us. And, you know, as, as we've walked through this series the last few weeks, we've done just, man, a lot of celebrating. This really kind of kicked off at our family meeting back in October where we just recounted the faithfulness of the Lord to us over the last few years and just cast some vision for where we see him uh, leading us together next. And, you know, one of the, the basic foundations we really wanted to focus on uh, in our first five years was, was setting uh, 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 the priority of making sure we're not just focused on the work that the Lord is doing here. Because again, we're, we're part of his kingdom. We're part of something that's greater than ourselves. And it's, and I'm extremely proud just of how our elder team has, has led out on this over the last few years from, from before there was ever a single public worship gathering that, that remotely resembled anything like we're doing right now. Um, our church family has always given a minimum of 10% of all of our financial resources outside of our walls. 
And um, so we're in budget season right now as we prepare for 2022. And our elder team, our staff's been working hard on that over the last couple months. And our elder team uh, came together to discuss it this past week. And you know, I don't know about the, the church you may have been in before, but, but for us, budgeting is actually a really exciting time. Because what, it, what we get to do is, man, we get to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness to us in this year, and we get to take some steps of faith in the year ahead. And one of our favorite things to do during budget season is sit down and say, man, uh, who else can we bless with the resources that the Lord has entrusted to us? What other ministries can we come behind and support and make sure they have what they need to carry out the mission the Lord's called them to? And so a lot of that happens at a local level. You know, we support organizations like uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Buford Young Life and Radiance Women's Center. Uh, last year, we started partnering with Lifeline Adoption Agency. We support the work of, of Crew Military. Um, in the year ahead, man, this was a goal for us as a church. We put this prayer before the Lord a few years ago. In the year ahead, we'll actually be supporting for the first time uh, international missionaries who have come from Cross Community Church. Like, man, we, we just look forward to that. We, we, are, we, we love being able to receive that email and say, yes, yes, uh, you've chosen to go into the well. We'll be people who hold the rope. Like, man, we, we praise God for that. We shared this at family meeting, but in the, in the year ahead, we really look forward to a new partnership uh, and affiliation with the Acts 29 network. And, and this has kind of been a long time coming, but if you, you go to Acts 29's website, like they're described as um, a, a diverse multiplying community of healthy churches. And we've seen, man, that, that is not just a statement on a website for them. Like they're actually committed to this. It's 700 churches globally. So some of the United States and some overseas who are serious about seeing healthy gospel preaching churches multiplied to the ends of the earth. And so we're, we're thrilled about that opportunity because it reminds us once again, we're part of something that's greater than ourselves. We're gonna intentionally link up with other brothers and sisters in Christ to see more churches planted, to see more churches revitalized, to see more missionaries sent out to the ends of the earth. And Acts 29 embraces uh, five distinctives that you could find on their website, but the, the fifth one is one that I really wanted to highlight um, for us together this morning because it really speaks to the heartbeat of who we want to be as followers of Jesus who are living for his kingdom in this local church. Their fifth distinctive says, we embrace a missionary understanding of the local church and its role as the primary means by which God chooses to establish his kingdom on earth. Local church is a global mission. Like, like this small, seemingly insignificant thing that we, we gather together here on, uh, to do on Sundays and, and do together throughout the course of the week. It seems so small and it seems so insignificant, but God is doing even in here work on a global scale. I mean, it, it starts with that seed, just something that's so insignificant, so easy to overlook. Can we trust that even when it seems to be unnoticed, when it's unspectacular, when we're not feeling it, listen, God is never not working. He is always working beneath the surface. He's working to, to holistically transform us and make us more like his son, Jesus. And one day, this kingdom that he's building, it will have exploded into something that can only be attributed to his name and his glory. Every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus, exalting his name, lifting his praise forever and ever. That's what we're going towards. And so will you just bow your heads with me as we close our time together this morning? We're gonna uh, come to the table here in just a moment to receive the Lord's Supper. And I just wanna challenge you to consider this morning, like what's the Lord pressed into you today? Are you expecting the unexpected? 
Are you expecting that God can still use you, man, even right in the middle of your mess? Are you expecting that God can use others in the middle of their mess? Or have we sinfully written them off? Are you willing to embrace the unspectacular? Are you just just chasing spiritual high after spiritual high? Are you willing to let the Lord do the slow, transforming heart and soul work that's required to make us like his son, Jesus? How are we going to engage the unreached? Who's in your life? Who's in your sphere of influence? Who needs Jesus? How are you as an individual going to pursue them? How are we collectively as a church body going to continue to make sure we remember that we're part of something that's greater than ourselves, a mission that's greater than ours? Because it's his. So, fathers, we come to this table this morning. We come in confession, recognizing, Lord, that we have sinned against you. God, that there's sin in our hearts, there's sin in our lives, clinging to us that we are maybe hesitant to let go of. And so, Lord, would you just pierce our hearts? Would you convict us um, in any areas of inconsistency, any, any way that we are living our life contradictory to what you've laid out for us in your word? So whatever words, whatever thoughts, whatever actions, whatever habits, whatever it is that's clinging to us that's not of Jesus, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to put to death the deeds of our body? We lay that at the feet of Jesus today. We come confessing, trusting that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just and you'll forgive us. You'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Lord, give give us a heart of repentance that we would genuinely turn from our sin and cease our sin run towards the perfection that's been made available to us in your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, be glorified as we sing, be glorified as we confess, as we repent, as we come to this table. Let it all be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you as we worship your name. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen.